Everybody having an okay week? July 4th good? Anybody barbecue? Anybody swim? No? It's because we live in Flagstaff. Okay? And it's the worst part of our city. So uh, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I think this is, this is like point number one of the sermon today. We need to start like a pool revolution in Flagstaff. Okay? The days of us not having access to an outdoor pool are over. Okay? And it starts today. And so, um, yes, if you have a backyard and $25,000 laying around, build a pool and then invite the church over, okay? Uh, <laughs> turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to jump right into the text and get started. Um, if you don't know uh, me, my name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here also. Delighted to be with you guys. We've been in the book of Philippians now for uh, most of the summer, and we'll finish around the end of August. The idea being simple, like we believe this book helps shape us as a church now, we believe the Bible can do that all over the place, uh, but specifically, there's something I think very unique about the book of Philippians that holds up Jesus as a lens and as an example, okay, for the church to look to and say, are we doing that? It's really that simple. We look to the life and the story of Jesus, look to the character of Jesus, and we can say, like, hey, is that me and is that us? And that's, and that's a huge part of it. I loved what Sean shared a couple of weeks ago, like this whole idea of the sanctification, this movement, this work, it's a corporate thing, right? It's a communal thing. And so really, it's not just, do I look like Jesus? It's more so like, do we look like Jesus to the world? Do we look like Jesus to one another? And today, I'm going to be honest, chapter three of the book of Philippians is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Every week, I read it. I meditate on it, I pray over it, and I try and apply it every single week, Philippians chapter 3, and so I'm very jazzed to preach on it, but that also means trying to take something you love so much and condense it down into two hours uh, is difficult, okay? <laughs> to condense it down into 40 minutes is pretty difficult, okay? Uh, but we're going to try and do our best, and so here's my entreatment on the front end of this, is we're going to go, not 35,000, but we'll be like skimming around like 15,000 mile view uh, of this thing. I want you guys to kind of, um, not 15,000 mile, feet, right? Mile, that, that's like, hey, we're in the atmosphere, right? So, um, so we're not going to be super deep on it, and, and so here's, here's the call. Please invest some time in this text this week. Okay, invest some time in this text this week, and I'll, we'll give you some, some, uh, some ways you can do that as well. So um, that being said, quick intro to where we've been. Philippians, again, the lens with which we try and look and see Jesus compare ourselves. We said that this book is ultimately about living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, living a life worthy of his story, what he's done. And we saw that there are primarily four different ways that the text that Paul, the author of this letter to the church in Philippi, was trying to get his people to do that. One, they'd be Christ-centered. Two, they'd be unified. Three, they'd be secured by salvation. And four, that they would suffer. And today, it's kind of a culmination of looking at the past three with a movement towards this fourth one, this move to suffering. Now, if we just took a straw poll, it would not be too difficult to say, would you like to enter into suffering? And everyone's going to say no. Except for Paul, and except for the scriptures, they're going to say, no, no, we're going to see that suffering, and we're actually going to move towards that suffering. Now, now this sounds, hear me, it sounds absolutely contrary to everything you've been taught since you were born. I'm a parent, I see my kids, I'm like, I want no pain to befall them. And so whatever I can do to keep pain from their life, I generally do it. Now, now I think we can go too far with that, we don't let them climb a ladder because they might fall break something, let them break something from time to time, okay? Um, not too many things, but a thing or two would be okay, all right? 
And, and so here's the deal. I, I think suffering is this thing that's so distant, so foreign to us. But Paul's going to say, it's not just that it's good for you. It's that I'm going to go towards it. It's that good for me. Because I gained Jesus. And so the thesis statement for chapter 3, the thesis statement for, I think, maybe the whole Bible is this. Because I'm a Christian, I strive every day to lay all things down for the sake of knowing Jesus and being like him. That's what I'm going to try and convey to you today. That If there's anything you walk away with, this would be kind of a, a thing that sings in your soul that because I'm a Christian, there's a clarifier. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this stuff won't directly apply to you, but there will be a whole lot about God's love for you and all that kind of stuff that's fantastic. But because I'm a Christian, I strive, I press on, I move forward every day to lay all things down for the sake of knowing Jesus and being like him. That is the Christian life in its fullness, in my opinion. Now, between today and next week, Anthony preaching next week, between these two sermons, we're trying to craft for you the kingdom life as best we can from the text. What does it mean for you and I to live as actual Christians? Kingdom Christians. Today, kind of bigger picture. Next week, we're zooming in on some, de- on some definite details to what this looks like. Now, here's what we learn. In the first three verses and in the last four verses of this letter, we get what you would call an inclusio, right? Does anyone know what an inclusio is? I've used it here before, and by that, I've talked to you about it before. Essentially, it's a bookend to an idea. You see, at the start of chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, you see the same idea in the first few verses that you'll see in the last few verses. And what he's trying to do is build this contrast to say everything in between is trying to be his argument to make a case for this is what you should care about. So let me read to you 1 through 3, 18 through 21, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and safe for you. Ready? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so what you have, again, initial kind of greeting moment, right? Then say, beware false teaching. Beware people who would try and pull you from what the Bible says the Christian life should be about. And then three, but guess what? It's okay. Why? Because we're Christians. Now, we'll break down, for we are the circumcision, meaning we are the people of God. This circumcision piece, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago when Sean talked about it, it's a sign and a marker of the people of God, okay? Not today, so like if, if you're, we're not going to get into that, but you know what I'm saying. So like, <laughs> by a show of hands, no, so, um, okay, so again, beware false teaching, beware people who would pull you from what the scriptures say, but don't fret because you're a Christian, like, we, we see this differently. Okay, now 18 through 21. For many whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, so now at the tail end of three, we get the same idea as we got at the beginning of three. Okay, this little greedy moment, and then, hey, guess what? There's gonna be false teachers that will try and pull you away from what the scriptures say about what the Christian kingdom life should look like, but guess what? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're Christians. We think and act differently than the two things that would seek to pull us from the Bible. 
And those two things, I think, are probably the greatest idols of our day. One is self-righteousness. Okay? One is self-righteousness, the other one is self-indulgence. So notice the first one on the front end, it's this, this idea that there's these people that would say, you need to mutilate the flesh. What's going on in this moment? I'm just going to go surface level here. There were a group of people that say, in order to prove yourself as being one of the in crowd, one of God's people, you had to justify yourself through your deeds. Okay? It's a self-justification, which is a huge idol of our culture. We're going to prove ourselves to one another, right? We're going to prove ourselves to the world. We're going to make you think that we are better than we actually are. Now, that's on one end. That's one pull from the scriptures. Live this way. Don't live what the Bible says. Live like this. Care for yourself. Justify yourself. Prove yourself to the world. Now, on the other end, we see, no, no, no. There's these, there's these evildoers at the end that are saying, no, no. They indulge themselves to plenty and abundance. And so the other one, self-indulgence being the other idol of our day, that would say, no, no, don't, don't live like that. No, take care of self. Take care of you. Do you. Get yours. Indulge yourself. Life is short. Have an affair, right? And the reason why we've talked about this before, that might be weird out of context. That idea, that's the, literally the slogan for a website that tries to get you to have an affair against your, your spouse. Life short, have an affair. Okay, so self-indulgence on one end, the idol of our day that says, no, no, forget what the Bible says. Don't live kingdom Christianity. Live this way. And then dabble in that. Or self-justify and then dabble in some of the Jesus stuff. These two idols destroy the church, and they were destroying the church 2,000 years ago, and they do so to this day. And so Paul writes to the church in Philippi and says, listen, here's the big issue. Here's what's going on in chapter 3. You have to decide which kingdom will you live for. Are you going to live for the one that exists outside of the scriptures that would try and pull you in one direction or another from what the Bible says to you, or will you live kingdom Christianity? And verses 4 through 16 describe for us kingdom Christianity. That we might make, not just an educated, but a wise and faithful decision to follow Jesus. So that being said, let's go to verse 4. And as you're looking there, let me just tell you this real quick. Window into me, I want to win and defeat and, and, and just be the best at absolutely everything, Right? So, so, so when, I, when I read this text, maybe this is why chapter 3 so has gripped my soul is because I, I just want to win. Like, it, it's just, I'm, I know there's a, are there, how many people here are waiting to hear the score for the game? I won't say it if there's anyone. Doug, are you waiting? All right, I'm not going to say it. Close your eyes right now if you don't want to know what happened. I'm serious because I'm about to do something. And it could be good or bad. You don't know because you're not looking, but don't look. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, so you don't know what happened, but I want to win desperately, and that may or may not have happened this morning, okay? Um, what? Okay, never mind, here we go. Um, so <laughs> that may or may not happen. So I want, to, I want to win desperately. So even the other day, Finley is now playing soccer. My oldest, he's, he's going to be five next month. He's playing soccer now, and so we're... When you play U5s, you're not, it's not really soccer, right? Like if you've seen this, like it's like a bee swarm that just migrates around a field, okay? Um, and it's just so amazing to see. And so he's running around, he's kicking. And at, at U5, we don't have refs, and so the coaches have to ref. And so I'm, I coach my son's team. And, um, and so it's so funny because if you don't know soccer, 
you want to kick, if you're on this side, right, you want to kick it in that goal, um, and then the other team that's on that side is trying to kick it in your goal, right? And so that, this is pretty obvious. And so um, which, they don't get that. And so at U5, they'll dribble it whichever direction the ball seems to be traveling. And so all the time, my kids will dribble and score on our own goal, right? Now, in the very first game, I'm standing there as referee, and I'm right by the goal, and it took every ounce of my being to not stop my own team from scoring on us. Like, I'm standing there like, no! <laughs> like, not going to happen, right? Because just inside me, I just so badly, I don't want to lose. Like, this is my team. I coach this team. We're taking it to the top. <laughs> that stuff is satanic. <laughs> like, right? Like, th- that, that type of craving to want to win that badly, it, there, there's, hear me, it just speaks to deeper realities. It's fun, it's whatever, it's a kid's soccer game, right? so we're not going to take it too seriously. But if we're honest, we all have that in different spaces. Okay, We all have that thing where we, we want to just be the best, and we want you to know you're the best. And hear me, a big part of it now is in how you think. We want people to think we think the best. We want people to think we're the most woke. We want people to think that we are at the epitome of thought. Like, we've thought about this more than you. The doing stuff, it's still kind of there, but now we just live in this world where it's more like, no, I, just, I, can, I don't even have to do anything. I'll just say it to you. My rhetoric will be enough to prove that I'm good enough for the people around me. And so maybe you didn't connect with the, you desperately want to win your five-year-old son's soccer game illustration. But begin to really delve into the realities of the depths of why is it we so badly wish everyone knew how great we were. Like if right now you could begin to think through all of the things that if you could, like if you could just in a snap, hear me, in a snap of a finger, all the great things you think about yourself, everyone would know. Wouldn't you love that? And all the things that are bad about you, they'd never find out about. Wouldn't you want that? Just begin to think, like, there's so many times where there's just things where I find myself so pulled towards that. That's not why we live. That is a pull outside of the scriptures. That is a pull outside of kingdom Christianity. Verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking. Circumcised on the eighth day, that was just what the law said you should do. So he's saying, I'm a law-abiding Jew. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the top tribe, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews. As the law, a Pharisee, very legalistic, but also kind of on top of the the power structures of the people of God at that time. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, when it came to God people, Paul was the goat, okay? And if you don't know what goat is, that's greatest of all time, okay? Like, he he was the best God person of the day, the goat of the day. Just show it, who's the best basketball player that's ever lived? Michael Jordan. If if you thought LeBron James, leave the church, okay? (laughs) Okay? Michael Jordan. He is the Michael Jordan of God people, okay? He had it all. And so what he does in this moment, he's just began this introduction saying there's this way the world wants you to live that says prove yourself, okay? That says live in whatever you want to indulge your happiness, okay? It, 
Forget that. You guys want to try and prove yourself? I'm way better than you. Paul's like, listen, all the stuff you could throw forward, all the stuff that you thought in that moment where I told you to think about stuff, his stuff's better than your stuff. What he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Hear me, this movement towards suffering. Paul's not just like, well, I guess so because I'm supposed to. He says, I literally forsake all the good stuff that I could enter into the suffering of Jesus. Why? that I could gain Jesus. That for Paul and for the kingdom Christian, the end goal is Jesus. Like the person of Jesus is the end goal of following Jesus. You get Jesus. Win for us. That if I, so hear me, like let me just take a couple steps back. So if you care about winning the way I do, truly in life, What the kingdom says, it is a completely upside-down vision and view of how you get there. That has very little to do with your achievement. Has very little to do of what you can convince the rest of the people in the room that you're good at. Listen, the Bible doesn't care. It just doesn't. The kingdom doesn't care about you propping yourself up. So, so, So when we try and put that foot forward for that motive. You're, you're literally doing something anti, hear me, I am also, this isn't like you just y'all, right? We are doing something anti-Bible. It, it's not just like, oh, it's not that, it's a huge deal. We're doing something anti-Jesus. When we have to try and put ourselves and say, no, look, look at me, I'm that great. Or when we say, you know what, God, I know you say you're good and that in you is all satisfaction, but I'm going to go pursue other licentious type things because that's better than you. These two poles from what does it mean for us to be kingdom Christians. And, And it stinks even, right, that we have to add an adjective to Christians to define what the Bible talks about Christianity. Like we have to say, well, biblical Christianity says this. It should just be Christianity. But somehow, in our distorted worldview, in our syncretism, in our pulling in of our different sinful desires, we've created these different types of Christianity. And then what we do is then we bicker and fight in between them. But but hear me, if if you're seeing something that's not there in in the text, then then come and talk to me about it. But, But it seems to be that this stuff is like, no, this is just the way that we're supposed to live. We don't get pulled outside of the scriptures. No, we, we live this type of kingdom Christianity that, again, would look at everything that we could offer up to the world and say, 
I count it all rubbish. Now, here's the funny thing. That word rubbish, and maybe you've heard this before, it's a real, it's, it's not, when you think rubbish, think maybe trash, right? Especially if you're British, like, like my wife, like she thinks trash. Um, it is, it's like a scandalous word to be used in the scriptures. It's, it's really intense. But just for a moment, just as a thought exercise, would you so just attach yourself to the things that think you make yourself great and then just remind yourself that they're absolute trash? Hear me in light of knowing Jesus. So that, that's not, this isn't, hey, tell yourself you're garbage, because that's not true either. It's in light of getting to be and know Jesus, to partner with him in all things, union with Jesus, the rest of it, all the things that make us great, they're rubbish. So hear me, that's not a knock on you necessarily as much as it's a heralding of how great Jesus is. That Paul, who had a better resume than you and I could ever dream of as far as what it would mean to prove yourself to the people around him, says it's all absolute trash if I get Jesus. And Jesus is the reward for the church. It's not a bigger church. It's not a bigger budget. Individually, it's, you're, you're not, it's not a bigger house. You're not more blessed because of that. Right? It's not more money in the account. It's not more followers. The reward is Jesus. And it seems to be that he's become not enough for the church. And that is a devastating, heavy reality. And it's why, listen, it's why every week I come back to this text and I pray and I meditate and I usually move towards confession and repentance because I went through the same cycle the week before. Jesus, you just weren't enough this time. And I, I, I like hate that that's like the, the reality of it. And some weeks, and it's not every, you know, some weeks are great. Like, oh, we crushed it last week. Jesus, you and I, we're just doing it, right? But what is it that we've all of a sudden made about our faith and about this kingdom life that's made him not the greatest reward? And we have to wrestle with that question. And part of that is then identifying for yourself what are the rewards that you seek? What are the things that you're after? Because hear me, if it is fame and it is status, hear me, this world's got an abundance to offer you. Okay, Go out and get it because you'll get it. If it's money, this world's got a ton of money. Go and get it. That's the thing about these other rewards. They're very accessible. I would add a little note there. They're not as accessible to everyone as they are to others. But if we chase after these other things, hear me, we do nothing but blind ourselves from the true reward that is Christ. So what Paul's doing, Paul's saying, like, listen, I, 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 I could have done this totally different, but I, I lay all that down. I'm in prison. This stuff's crazy. I'm, my life, I'm going to die probably. And all that stuff, you know what? I don't care about any of it. Why? Because I get Jesus, and that's just, that's just all right by me. Now, I want to show you guys, uh, for, for Anthony, for myself, for a lot of our staff, this, this, this kind of, these, uh, this way to view life, I, I guess maybe the way you could talk about it, has been one of the more influential 
things we've ever learned, I think, that we've ever been taught in regards to what does it mean to, on the daily, live like Jesus? Because you get to the end of this little passage in 7 through 11 here, and again, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, right? Like this intentional, I long for this, I'll lay it down that I might move into the suffering and resurrection of Jesus. What does that look like? Because this isn't just an ultimate thing. Like the sufferings of Christ were not just the cross, they were far more comprehensive. So what do we know about how Jesus laid it down? We know that Jesus laid down, one, his home. He was in heaven, crushing it, and he came down to this broken world and lived in the mess and squalor of a manger. Within the first few years of his life, what is he? He's fleeing to Egypt to get away from persecution, to come back, to be raised up, where then even his family didn't like him all that much for different parts of his life. Friends would betray him. People wouldn't listen to him, even though he was the one that spoke with true all authority. In other words, he was always right, but people thought he was wrong all the time. And is there anything more frustrating in the world than being right and then having people tell you you're wrong? Right? Roommates, if you got a roommate, did that ever happen? We're like, no, I did this. They're like, no, you didn't, you did this. And then what begins to happen in your mind and heart? It's like Dexter, right? Like you're just, I'm going to build a kill room. Like this is going down. Husband, wife, that you guys ever find yourself in that? Right? Oh, I'm, t- I'm totally right and justified. She doesn't think I am. I need to fight tooth and nail until she finally understands. He finally understands I was right. And I will keep pressing until she or he will acknowledge it. And then I'll get to the end and I will feel terrible. (laughs) And it shocks us, but the Bible's like, don't do that. (laughs) So this tool, um, I want to, if you can put up that J back there. So, this, this model, right, uh, it, Paul Miller, and so this is the book that some of you may saw coming in. It's a book called uh, The J-Curve, and this is The J-Curve. Uh, we, we love Paul Miller here. If you remember, John Horry came, uh, the Asian guy, kind of looked like half like me because I'm half. And so, um, so John came and spoke on, and we did like kind of a thing on the praying life and all that kind of stuff, and that was fantastic. Um, well, this, he's part of that org- same organization, and they, they came out with, or, or he, uh, Paul Miller came out with this, model of the life of Jesus and how it needs to be essentially adopted as our model. Now, I don't have, now hear me, what would hopefully happen is there's a second diagram that goes along with this one. That one, I'm just not savvy enough to make, and two, I couldn't find one that I could, that I wouldn't have to like steal or something. So um, picture that one, and then if you could, this, just picture, I'm the diagram, okay? Uh, And so these are lines, Okay, um, down here is the word failure. Da- up here is the word boasting, okay? So, you, you know, Micah, come here. You're coming on stage. Okay, everyone welcome Micah to the stage. There we go. Okay. Beautiful. Single? Or, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, um, all right, so hold that, okay. all right? So, here we go. Failure. This wasn't planned. I'm sorry, bro. Okay. That's what you get for getting mentored by me. So failure, boasting. 
Yeah? So, so here's, here's, what, here's what Paul Miller would say, based on, and it's really coming from this text, is that we live lives on this chart. Okay? Like, this is where we live 99% of our life. Even though we shouldn't, but this is where, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in this failure-boasting chart. In other words, I need to prove myself to you so that I become less of a failure and work myself up to the ladder where I can boast to the world about how great I am. This is in every argument, when you're trying to win an argument, you're on this chart, right? Jesus was never on this chart. We live on this all the time. Thanks, my God. Okay, so... This is the one, yeah, you did a great job. That's, your arms get tired. You guys have done that before. Um, this, is the, this is the life of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. And so this J curve, and I don't think it was intentionally J for Jesus, but it works out that way, right? So um, here's Jesus' life. He's living, okay? And then, right, oh, we all know about the cross, right? So he dies, and then he resurrects. So we, we know about the end game, right? We know about the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John, okay? Um, but life, death, resurrection, the, the debate here would be, no, 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 this was the life of Jesus from the moment he showed up on the scene as an infant baby in a manger, okay, to the moment that he ended up on the cross. That throughout his life, he lived what we call many deaths, that the moment he had to leave heaven where life was full and abundant and was in perfect community, it was a death for him to have to come into this. Right? But then a resurrection was coming. Now, now what else do we know about Jesus? Jesus had to lay down t- from the cross, right? Hey, dude, if you, or how about this? Temptation with Satan. Hey, if, if, you're, if you're who you say you are, just do these things, Right? Throw yourself off the mountain and watch the angels carry you upon their wings. You're God. You could do this. So in that moment, he could have been failure boasting. You're right. Let me show you how great I am so you don't think I'm a failure. Or he dies to his own desire to prove himself because he doesn't need to because he's justified by his father. That then what happens, he experiences the power of resurrection in that he defeats Satan in his temptations. Every argument you're in, you're living your life, a fight begins to happen in these lines. Someone didn't wash the dishes, okay? They left it to soak, okay? And so, so it's soaking in all of these different things. Now, you're in this battle with your roommate, And you need to try and prove I'm more clean than you. I'm a better roommate than you. I'm nicer than you. People like me more, okay? So you fight. Instead of the life of Jesus that in this moment says, I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to win an argument. I don't need to justify myself. We don't need to fight about this. Instead, I will bear the burden of the weight of this argument and disagreement on my shoulders the way Christ has, and I will experience death. And that, here's what happens, because as you begin to do this stuff, here's what happens, you begin to see resurrection comes pretty darn quick. Relationships get restored a lot faster. Because what happens is when we live in this chart for a long time, roommates will know this, husband, wife will know this, parents to kids, every relationship at life, the more you live in this, for time after time after time, all of a sudden there is a chasm between you and the other person. 
where it makes that reality crazy difficult. This is the life of Jesus. And at every moment as your life goes on, what Paul is saying here, I want you to willingly move towards suffering because dying in the midst of an argument, it feels like suffering and pain because we don't want to lose. We want to win. Your life and my life are filled with the opportunity to have many deaths like Jesus or time in and time out you can choose to die to self for the sake of the resurrection of yourself and those around you. That resurrection coming in the same way, Paul here, I long to enter into suffering, why that I might gain Christ. This life gets us Jesus. And I don't mean that in this like, you don't have Jesus if you don't do this every time type of way. I mean that as we live like that, we experience the life, death, resurrection of our Savior. We enter into his life. We enter into, his, into communion with him. And so I want you to, like, if you could, imprint, though, <laughs> imprint Micah, just standing here on stage and say, I'm, I'm living there, I got to move to this. It's not about doing this chart better. It's about leaving this chart behind and moving to that one. Yeah? So here we go. Let's keep going. We're going to wrap up here. we got five minutes. So here we go. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Live what you believe. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with mind set on earthly things. Real quickly, you get the text. There's not a ton to break down there. We keep going. You and I were not finished products. And, I, and hear me, I, I think sometimes and in some places and for some people, and maybe this isn't you, we've just stopped caring about our sanctification. We've stopped showing up to our times in the scriptures. We've stopped showing up to the Sunday service. We've stopped showing up to our small groups. We've stopped showing up to meetings with Christian friends where we'll look to encourage and exhort each other. We've start, stopped looking at those times as opportunities for the Spirit of God to make you more like Jesus. Like they're just things we do. We press on towards the goal. We move forward. We don't stop. Like we said, we strive to attain this type of life. But do we have that in us? And I think we do. It's just I think we need to continually come back to, is the prize worth it to us? Because you and I, we strive for things all the time. We fight, we contend, we work for, we put our time, our money, our effort, our talent into all of these different things 
that we might get to a goal we want to achieve. And hear me, on the whole, if a goal is not sinful, that's awesome. Do that. Strive. But but hear me, our top goal is this has to be Jesus. He has to be the top prize. He has to be the top reward. Otherwise, we're pressing on to something that's not him and will, hear me, it will not satisfy. It just won't. This last verse in 20 and 21 need to be memorized by the church. Maybe if you could memorize this whole chapter. But let's start with a couple verses, and it'll be 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Because everything you're striving for, the, the need to feel validated, the need to prove yourself, hear me, God's going to transform our lowly state into a glorious one. Like so much of the, oh, I just, I just want glory. I want, right, in the ways we think, I want, I want fame. I want, all, I want all of this. That's coming. And it won't be because of you and because of what you brought to the table. It's not because you had a great resume. It's because he had the perfect resume. Our citizenship is in heaven, church. Hear me, so that doesn't just give us something to look forward to. It gives a mandate for how we live now. If that's confusing, if you're an American citizen, okay, and you go to a foreign country, there are certain laws, right, that you have to abide by that are local laws in that space, okay? And then there's laws that would supersede those because of who you are in your identity. What the Bible is saying is that your ethic, your laws, the way you live your life must, must, must be centered on the kingdom of God above all other places. The implications of that reality are crazy vast. But I'm going to give us a couple for fear of pissing people off. Sorry for saying the P word. That was the first one. (laughs) Um, When you see another human being in pain, the Bible's going to tell you to serve them and lay down your life for them before any other law. It just is. Um, we have, we have, we've, 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 we've just, we've gotten too caught up in the world's politics. Okay? Just flat out, that's just the truth. That doesn't mean we discredit them, it doesn't mean we throw them out, we don't care, we have to engage, all that stuff's true. But we cannot, we cannot, we cannot be okay with kids in cages. 
And it's not saying one side's right or the other. Do not hear that. I'm not trying to have that debate. Church, you need to weep. We need to lament. And we need to get together and start doing stuff about it. And that's just one situation. And I'm not trying to say that's the only situation. So don't come to me and say, but what about this? I hear you. What about this? I agree with that too. It's both and. But the life of, of, of Jesus, it's just different. And we have to stop clinging on to the American life. You just, you got to let go of it. And so do I. Your citizenship is not here. Secondarily, maybe. Some of you forgot different citizenships. That's great. That's your secondary. Great. It's awesome. Love it. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so its ethic, its calling has to supersede the others. And so we need to spend intentional time then seeking what that means. And I would love to have those discussions with like just popping up in our church. That, that what we talk about when we think of our church is not, well, did, did Vince or Anthony do something I liked on Sunday when they talked? Or, or did Johnny and the band sing a song I liked? There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not for you to enjoy this. The mission of the church is for us to go and be the church. And the only way that's going to happen, hear me, is, is if we take this stuff seriously. And so hopefully what, what you're getting here when we get to come to you guys and gather and we get to preach and open up the word is hopefully we're seeing, and then we're just going to put all our cards on the table right now, is that what Ant and I are trying to do and what the whole staff, Andy and Kaylee and the rest of our staff, Rant, I, I'm just not going to list everyone, but you get it, all of our staff we're trying to do, we're trying to make us people who actually know what it means to, to, to be Christians. And hear me, we're learning along with you. And so what that means is let's, let's talk, let's engage, let's ask questions, let's develop ideas, let's, let's have you guys get together and dream together how to solve brokenness and problems in our world. But it all starts with Christ. We won't get there unless we are willing and ready to, to lay things down for the sake of knowing Jesus, the power of his resurrection, entering into his suffering, that we might gain him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm, uh, I guess I'm just, I'm very sorry for the times, God, where I just keep, I keep revisiting stuff that clearly I know would be just to improve my status and stature in the world. Lord, as a church, we confess that we've done things to build our own kingdom and not your kingdom. Again, we pray that in that, God, it would not just be words, but God, that through the, just the, the conviction of you, Spirit, that you would constantly just bang on our hearts and our minds, God, to say, like, no, we're going we're gonna to go this way. We're going to do things the way Jesus did them. So we want, we want to gain you. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want you here. So let me just start there even today as a church. God, we lay, we lay our boasting down. 
We lay our pursuit of things less than you down. That in this space, in this time, God, we would be cultivated into a people that want to worship, know, and be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.